Okay, we're going to get started. Open in prayer. See what God has in store for us. Lord, we do thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. Uh, there's a very good chance more people are coming, and we thank you for that. Pray that you get them here safely. Uh, but we're here. We're here, I hope, because we want to be here. Lord, if not, I pray you speak to our heart about that. Um, but if we do want to be here, it means we do want to hear from you, and you do want to speak to us. So that should be a, a very easy equation, Lord. And I just pray that be the case, that we have ears to hear, that we hear what only your children can hear, Lord, because this, we're the only ones this stuff makes sense to, that we not only understand it, that we see how we can apply it to our lives and why you even have us here in this passage at this moment, Lord, because everything you do is perfect. So thank you in advance and look forward to seeing how you're going to use your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you will see that the title of the notes is Megasagape, by far the coolest title God has ever had me come up with, but also one that very much describes the heart of what I'm uh, going to try to share with you today and how God spoke to my heart. I'm assuming we all know that agape is a Greek word for love. We're in the love chapter. Mike started us there last week. 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to look at verses 4 through 7. Um, and one thing God already showed me is I always thought agape, which is the only word used in 1 Corinthians 13, um, I had always heard it referred to as a godly love, a perfect love, like the love that we are all to strive for. Um, and I, it, it still kind of is, but I'm going to explain something about that in a second. But that's what agape is, and Mike introduced us to the word megas last week when he looked at the last verse of chapter 12, which said, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Some of you have the greater gifts. The Greek word is the megas gifts. So does megas mean greater well, 26 times in the, in the New Testament, megas means greater. 26 is a lot, right, Robert? Thing is, there's another 131 times where it just means great. doesn't mean greater. just means great, like a mega store. When we call something a mega store, we're not necessarily saying how much bigger it is than the store next to it. We're just saying, man, this thing is big. So Mike walked us through some of the things that that greater, or even just that verse could mean. He said there are some commentators that are, that think Paul is accusing the Corinthians of desiring what they consider the greater gifts. And Paul's like, no, 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 I'll show you a better way. Maybe, but even Mike said he didn't really feel that's the way the text flowed. The more likely was Paul saying, listen, desire the greater gifts and I'll show you how, which I don't have a problem with unless you actually think that God's saying yeah, Dana, I gave you a gift, but you should desire the greater gift. Like, God would never tell us to desire something that he didn't give us. And that word desire might just mean have a desire for, like place a higher emphasis on. You might remember Mike saying every part of the body is vital, but some are more vital for its existence, while all are vital for its effectiveness. I'm not going to get into that again. But that always assumes that that word megas means greater. Not just great. So I'm just going to throw another thought out there. I don't really have some deep theological defense to it other than my understanding of Scripture. What if that is just talking about great? He says, earnestly desire the great gifts. Not ranking them, but saying no matter what gift you have, desire for it to be great. Right? 
If you have the gift of prophecy, desire that you use that gift the best you can. If you have the gift of helps, pray that that desire, that that honors God. Then, then that I will show you a more excellent way is Paul saying, and let me show you not what's greater than the gift you have or not what gift is greater than another, but how whatever gift you have can be great, can be megas. And then what did Mike show us last week? Three examples of some awesome gifts that are nothing without love. I could speak with the tongue of men and angels, and if I don't have love, people are going to hate to hear it. I could have all prophecy and all wisdom and all knowledge, and if it doesn't have love, it's useless. I could sacrifice and give myself body to be burned, and if it's not in love... If you want to say that that saying love is greater than those gifts, I can't argue, because those gifts are obviously useless without love, yes? But let's not act like, and that means if you have love, nothing else matters. That's a big problem, I would say, in the church today is that everybody thinks, oh no, just love each other, we'll be fine. And meanwhile, nobody's preaching, nobody's teaching, nobody's this. Yeah, but we all love each other. No! The Bible's not saying that love is greater, but that love is essential. Right? Is the hand greater than the foot? No, you need them both. But they serve two completely different roles, agreed? And neither one can serve its role if there's not blood flowing through it, agreed? So all of them need love. So my title, Megas Agape, has two meanings to it, at least to my heart. One, agape, love, is what makes everything as great as possible. No matter what your gift is, don't desire that you have a different gift. Just desire that God use that gift through you as greatly as possible, and Paul makes it clear, then you better be doing it through love. Got it? Megas Agape. Agape makes your gift great. But then also mega agape. This, this, my son can tell you, this, this messed with my head for a bit. About five minutes ago, I told you that I thought agape love was godly love, perfect love, the love that we are all to strive for. Yes and no. My brother already knew this. My son already knew this. So I don't know why I'm so behind the ball. But look at the first two verses I wrote on the back. They're not for 1 Corinthians. John 3 to 19 says, and this is the judgment. The, that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Did you know that word love is agape? I never knew that. Like I had to double check that. That can't be agape love. How can I have agape love for the world? Agape love is God's love. Agape love is perfect. What am I going to do? Argue with scripture? And then look at the very next verse. The one that tells you, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The word love appears three times there. Hey, Sean, guess how many of those are agape? All three. All three. <laughs> Don't agape the world or the things that are in the world because if you agape the world, the agape of the Father is not in you. So where I am right now with this, and I have my brother's approval because I ran it by him first to make sure it made sense. God's love is agape love. There's no arguing that. But agape love is not necessarily God's love. According to these verses, I can even agape incorrectly. Now again, if you don't remember what the different loves are, there's eros, which is a romantic type of love. There's phileo, which is a friendship kind of love. There's something called storge that I'd never heard of before, but it's in the Greek and it's a familial type of love. It's a type of love where you could hate your sibling, but you still love them because they're your sibling. It's a very unique type of love. And then there's agape love. 
So before we get into what Paul says agape love is, in general, agape love is less on the emotional, how you feel, or the connection with someone. We are told to agape our neighbor, and guess who else we're told to agape? Our enemies. Do you understand? Like agape is that all-inclusive, do what you have to do to love this person, and in that light, it makes a little more sense. That we are told, do not agape the world. Don't do whatever you need to to show the world your love. No, agape God because he has agape us. So my point is, make us agape also means let's make sure we're showing better agape love. We're making the most of what agape is supposed to be, and that is verses 4 through 7. As we go through verses 4 through 7, well, in fact, I'm going to read it because it's going to sound so ridiculously familiar to just about all of us. You ready? Here we go. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Hey, Gina, where have you heard that verse before? That passage. First thing that pops into your mind. Nothing specific. At a wedding. Is that what you just said, hopefully? At a wedding, yes? Look, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, some people... There's nothing wrong with that. Yes, a wedding couple needs to hear what real love is, but again, we're told to agape our enemies just as much. No matter what context you're looking at that, I know this won't show up on the audio, but that's okay. I'm going to stand up, and you can see my shoulders, yes? This is what I think when I hear those verses. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Like, it's, it's humbling, it's... It's almost like a warning. You better know what love is because I know you think love is this, but it's not as easy as it sounds, you know, and and tough times are going to come and you better be able to... And there is truth there. There is truth into love is these things. If you want to say you love someone, those are indicative verbs, statement of fact. If you want to say you love someone, then it's this and this and this and this. But the problem is, if all we do is look at that as, oh, geez, yeah, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. We're totally missing out on the mega agape. God is saying these are the exact things that are going to make our gift as powerful as it can be. These are the exact things that are going to make our love as effective as it can be. These can't just be things that we're willing to do. Fine, I'll be patient. You're right. I love the person. Like, that's how it feels. I'm sorry. Just about everything on this list is a, yeah, you're right. I need to do that more. But that's why I started every single one of them with the power of. Can we not lose sight of doing these things? They're actually very powerful. They're not just, fine, oh, all right. I mean, heaven's waiting for me, so I guess I can do this for now. No, if you want your gift to be megas, whatever that gift might be, if you want your love to be megas, which we all should be wanting, then these are the things that need to be inherent in the agape. So there's 10 points. There's actually 14 comments, but I felt some of them tied together. So 10 points. We're going to go through it quickly, but we'll let God do what God does. So the very first one, love is patient. In Roman numeral one, you could either put in the power of patience or maybe the power of long-suffering. I'm always going to like long-suffering better than patience because patience is what you do when you're standing in line at the deli waiting for your sandwich to be made and why is this taking so long? That's not really long-suffering. You might think it is. But some of us, love is patient. Love is willing to suffer. And because patient 
suffer. All of these things have such negative connotations, at least to us. Fine, I'll do it. We forget there's so much power in being patient. Now, if you don't know where I'm going with that, I have a verse to back every one of these up, and I'll be honest, some of these verses are left field bleachers, never mind left field. But I feel like they, I really feel like they get to the point I'm trying to make. Maybe some of you can prove me wrong. I would love for you to prove me wrong. But it was amazing how easy it was to me to find, by the time we're done with these 10, there are so many verses in the Bible that command you to do these 10, but it was hard to find ones that talked about the benefit of doing them. Because I think that's always implied. Obey God, trust me. But to actually find a verse that says, no, 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 if you do this, here's a great thing that'll come of it. I, I struggled. I found it to be a challenge, but a challenge that I enjoyed doing. So 2 Peter 3.9. Let's have Robert, sir. Can you read for me 2 Peter 3.9? It's on the back. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Thank you, sir. So, well, yeah, just because God's patient, I mean, of course God's patient. Don't focus on the patient there. Focus on the reason. Why is God patient? According to this verse, Alvin, I'll take anything and I'll make it be what I want it to be. Tell me. Why is God patient? Not the fact that he is, but why, according to this verse? Because it's not wishing that uh, any should perish. Now, I hope that we are a mature enough church that we realize that verse does not mean everyone's going to be saved. But it does mean that God knows everyone who's going to be saved. And when the, pe the people Peter were writing to were going through persecution, Lord, when are you going to come back? And, and Peter's like, yeah, but you don't get it. Like, the reason he hasn't come back yet is because he's patiently waiting for each of his chosen ones to become saved. He is being patient, not because fine. Oh, jeez. All right. No, I can wait another. No, he's doing it for our benefit. Now, teachers in the room, and I say teachers because we can, but all of you can relate. When you say that you need patience with a student, Shannon, I'm going to ask you. You ready? Is there any chance that you're like me and saying you need patience means you can't wait for June to come? Yeah, right? We think patience means, oh, I really hope I don't strangle this kid. But according to this verse, there's power in patience. Shannon, I'll ask you again. Has there ever been a student that drove you nuts at the beginning of the year, and by the end of the year, they actually weren't that bad? Yeah. I hope you're, I didn't know her answer was going to be, yeah, but mine definitely is. There is power in patience. If you want to love someone, be patient with them, not just because God commands you to. No, you don't know what God has in store. Be patient. It's hard sometimes as you're praying for someone to turn to the Lord or you're praying for someone to change their... Something. There's something. Some reason where you're long-suffering. I, I like using that title. It implies, man, this isn't easy. Yeah, but be patient. Don't just be willing to be patient. Want to be patient. Because God is patient. And he's not patient because, oh, don't worry, you'll get yours tomorrow. No, he's patient because he wants all who are going to come to him to come to him. And if we believe that our God is a mighty God, then we can show people patience in our love by trusting that, yeah, maybe not today. All right, maybe not tomorrow. But I'm going to be patient because I believe God is going to do a work here. And not just a work in you, but a work in me while I'm praying for you. There's power in patience. And I just think we have to remember that sometime because as Shannon admitted, and I hope we all agree, patience is usually just a, 
All right, fine, but the second July 1st comes, you're gone. That is patience, by the way. That is patience that you don't strangle a kid for 10 months. But it's not this kind. It's not a loving patience. It's not one that kind of is looking forward to the day that you can actually see what God's doing. We were just praying this morning. See, this is why I'm not going to get through 10 points, but too bad. Didn't we just pray this morning that we're so glad youth, whatever, blush, whatever. But we're watching you guys grow. You understand? We would have spiritually. Would we have loved to have seen it five years ago? Yeah, but guess what? Five years ago, you know, you know what I mean? Like it was worth being patient. We weren't just putting up with you guys when you were little brats. Or maybe we were, but we shouldn't have been. Our patience should have been like an expectation of, yeah, but God's going to do something here. So let's keep loving on them. Let's keep being patient with them. Let's keep long-suffering, just like God did with us, because who knows what mighty things might be coming. I can't spend that much time on every point, but that's my heart. My heart is that we not walk out of here remembering that God commands us to be patient with people, but that there is so much power in being patient as you want your agape to be megas, as you want your gift to be megas. Okay? So after patient, we are told that love is kind. Which again, if you want to write the word, the power of kindness, go right ahead. Or you might want to write the power of service. What am I trying to imply about kindness by putting the word service there? Come on, English majors, let's go. Why does kindness tie in very much with service. Thank you, because kindness is an action. You understand? It's not an attitude. You don't... You understand what I'm trying to say? Goodness is the attitude. When the fruit of the Spirit talks about goodness and kindness, goodness is you're, you're just a good person. You strive to be. You're known as one. But kindness is an action. And again... I think we all associate love with kindness, but we usually associate that with someone we love. Because we love them, we're kind to them. And if we don't love them, then why would I be kind to them? Well, because the Bible says so, fine, I'll be kind. No, there's power in kindness. Lenny, can you read Acts 28 too? The native people showed us unusual kindness. So they kindled the fire and welcomed us all. Because it had begun to rain and was cold. So I told you, some of these verses are left field. But you do realize this was written like millennia ago. Yes? Like, like a long time ago. Paul was on a prison ship and they landed on Malta and it was rainy and cold and some natives showed unusual kindness. And we're reading about it like however many thousands of years later. Like, do you understand? Kindness sticks more than we realize. I don't know if school's still called, but weren't they always called random acts of kindness? Right? We've all heard that phrase, right? Like, you don't realize something that seems so little to you. That might have been common sense to the Maltons. Well, of course we made a fire. It's cold. But Paul's like, that's unusual kindness. You did that for me? And so let's not see kindness as fine. I have to. I'm a Christian. Fine. No. We can do such little things in our mind and God can use them in such mighty ways. There is so much power in kindness because the person receiving it is always going to think it on a higher level than the person giving it. At least they should. Agreed? Because i got to keep moving. Alright. So we've got love is patient, love is kind. Then we've got love does not envy. Okay? Again, you might say, well of course love doesn't envy. No, not necessarily. Love most certainly can envy. You can say you love someone. In fact, I, I know 
unfortunately, multiple couples that, and I mean, I'm sure Lenny can probably speak to this more, but part of the friction in the marriage is one's a little jealous of the other one's success. Or one's a little jealous that the other one didn't have to grow up the way they had to grow up. There's certain things they hold on to, and sometimes they might not even realize they do. But if you ask them if they love each other, they 100% love each other. They kind of just love through the envy, right? There's kind of like a ceiling for how much they can love each other because at some point I am going to be a little jealous that you had this, that you got this, that you didn't have to go through this. And Paul said, no, no. Love doesn't envy. So I wrote down that the power, it's the power of contentment. I don't know if you're like me, and I've had time to think about this. You haven't. But to me, contentment is a very inward thing. I'm not sure I really stopped to think about how my contentment can help Jake. But apparently it can. If I'm to show love to Jake, I need to have contentment. I can't be envious of Jake. Even if he doesn't see it, it's going to be something that stands in the way of my ability to love him. There's power in contentment. Because, again... Well, Jake, I'll ask you a question. Sure. Okay, I'll give you two tries if you get it wrong the first time. Okay? Is there a difference between being content or striving to not be envious? Yes. Thank you. Could you? I'll, I'll elaborate if you can. But I think, I think that striving to be, striving not to be envious takes your focus off what you have to be content. Thank you. It becomes such a struggle that now you're not struggling with envy. You're struggling with not struggling with envy. Like, this doesn't become an issue if you could just be content. If I could just be content, I could be happy that, you know, Jake has a beautiful growing family and a, and a job and moving to a home. And, like, nothing's going to stand in the way of that if there's not a part of me saying, yeah, well, you know, why didn't I get... No. So James 4.2, it doesn't speak to contentment. I'll admit that. I actually had trouble finding a verse that talks about how content my contentment can help others. But you better believe I found a verse of how my non-contentment can hurt others. So, Daniela, nice and loud, could you read James 4, 2, please? Okay, so I'm going to leave that last part out and just say, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Now, we don't have to take that as literal murder, but the point is, you know why this happened in your relationship? I can't... I could murder myself, I realize there's a name for that, but we don't call that murder. Like, by implication, it's something that you're doing to others, and because you desire and don't have, that affects your relationship with someone else. Because you covet and cannot obtain, that affects your relationship with someone else. And sadly, we get numb to it. You understand? Especially the world we live in. We're always wanting what other people have, whether we realize it or not. Different people to different degrees. The people to the nth degree do whatever they have to do to get it. I don't really see that people in this room. I hope not. But to a lower degree, like, it can seep in and you don't even realize it. And if we can just learn the power of contentment. Now listen, godliness with contentment is great gain. But that's great gain for me. I'm not focused on how these things help me. I'm focused on how these things can help me love others. Can make my agape megas. Can make my gift Megas. Contentment is a part of your gift being megas. I hope that makes sense. But again, the spirit can speak because we have to keep moving. So we've got does not envy. I'm going to put the next two together. It does not boast and it is not arrogant. The reason I'm putting them together is because boasting is speaking. Your pride and arrogance is just, it's an attitude. You understand? 
One's a little outward, one's a little inward. But both of them affect your ability to agape megas. Yeah, but John, if you really love somebody, why are you boasting? Why are you arrogant? You know why? Because you can very easily love someone. Let's see if anyone knows where I'm going with this. You can very easily love someone and just love yourself more. That's all. That's what boasting and arrogance is. Well, of course I love my wife. Of course I love my mother. Of course I love my... But, I'm still entitled to this, right? But you do realize what I did, right? And, and, and you walk around like, almost like that person you love is just one more person that you can, you know? No good. The, the, if you really want to love someone, it's not, hey, I love my, this person and myself. It's I love this person really more than myself. Right? And we have verses that say that, sir, just so you know where I'm coming from. This entire list of things in, in Corinthians, it's very easy to find verses that command us to do it. And I was surprised how hard it was to find verses that actually talk about how it benefits others to do it. And yet, if these are parts of love, they should be things that allow me to love people better. So, you know, it's been my thing the last few months for some reason anyway. But number four, the power of humility. There is power... In humility, and yet those words sound like direct opposites. John, you know what humility is, right? It means like having less power. No, apparently not. You look at examples like Gandhi, and of course examples like Jesus, but I hate putting those in the same sentence. There are plenty of people out there who through their humility, through their humbleness, were actually very highly thought of. People followed them. People listened to them. People cared about simply because they weren't boasting and they weren't arrogant. Um, Violet, could you read Luke 14? And I'm sorry, it says 4 there, but you guys don't care. because It should be 14.11. I don't know why it says 4.11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. All right. Mike, I'm throwing you on the spot, but again, I'll give you two tries here. Is Luke 14.11 saying, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled by God, and he who humbles himself will be exalted by God. Yes and no. Okay, so just get rid of the yes part, and we'll keep the no. It's because there's so many verses in the Bible. James 4.8 says, humble yourselves, and the Lord will lift you up. So many verses in the Bible that says, God will exalt you. But this Luke 14 passage is actually the one that says, and when you're invited to a party, don't sit in the front seat. Sit at the end of the table, and when they see you do that, they'll ask you to come up and sit in the front. And then it says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, meaning by those around them. And he who humbles himself will be exalted by those around them. If we want our love to be effective, if we want our gift to be effective, whatever that gift might be, we need to be humble people because that's who other people are going to look up to. We think that that pushes us to the background and the loudest voice is the only one that's heard. Yeah, but we serve a mighty God. So yeah, let the loud voices be loud voices and let us just not be um, boastful, not be arrogant, be humble, and then other people will come along and say, that, you should really listen to that guy. We should really go to that church. Not, not because that leadership, oh, the leadership there got things on lockdown. No. Wow, they're really humble people there. You know, they're, they're just sinners saved by grace. Whatever phrase you want to throw. But the point is, don't be humble because you have to be humble. Be humble because there's so much power in it. People notice it. People are attracted to it. People are going to want 
to hear what you have to say. They might not ultimately agree, but you shut so many doors when you come across with a boastful or arrogant attitude. So I hope we realize that there is power in humility that went with the boasting and the arrogant. Next came, it is not rude. Okay, now again, rude means different things to different people, but if you look up the word, it actually means to act inappropriately or unbecoming. Now, can you ever love someone and be rude with them? Sylvia? Yes. Yes. I'm going to say there's two instances. Could you give me at least one why you might be rude with someone you love? If you can think of both, great, but... Yeah, thank you. You're having a bad day. They pushed your buttons. You didn't really mean to do it. And maybe you feel bad about it later. Look, we all screw up. I get it. But can anyone think of the other time? Expected to know better. Okay, but you're still a little annoyed by them, yes? The other time that we can be rude with someone we love, and it's not because they got us mad or anything. It's because... Yeah, we're so comfortable with them, Right? There's certain people that we feel like we can kind of lower our bar around, yes? My tie's nice and tight when I'm doing Sunday school, and then when I go home, the tie comes off. No. Like, love is not rude. It's very much what you said, yes. That's going to be more irritable, I think, when I get there. But to me, rude, to act inappropriately, to act a lot of times, it's because you think it's okay around the people you love, because, hey, I love them, they love me, they understand. And No, that's not what love does. Love doesn't lower the bar, especially around, if anything, we do that around the people we love more than around the people we don't love, because we're afraid we'll be a bad testimony to those people, so I'm going to be really nice to those people, but when I get home, uh, like Lenny said, they should know better. They should, no. So I just wrote down the power of edification. I feel like we as a church have been talking about this lately. There is so much power in purposely trying to build people up. Even if what you're about to say doesn't hurt or is an innocent whatever. I'm not here to, to be the, you know, the, the, the verbal police, whatever you want to call it. But oh my goodness, do we ever set the bar at, yeah, but I love this person. Am I building them up? Uh, sir, can you read for me Ephesians 4.29? Sure. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. Again, I wanted verses that told me the benefit of doing it. If I can build people up, and I love that it says, as fits the occasion. Agreed? Like, there's different occasions. The the youth just had a lock-in. You know, there was an opportunity there for them to grow in Christ, and that's definitely edifying. And then I'm sure there were times as they were rolling along the ground on the on the scooters, you know what I mean? Just as fits the occasion. Everything doesn't have to break out into a Bible study. But oh my goodness, when you have that opportunity to just say something that again might be an act of kindness you don't think much of, and they're like, wow, that was really nice. Thank you so much. Wow, that really helped. Don't look at it as fine, I won't be rude. I'll bite my tongue. Yes, sometimes we need to bite our tongue. But how much better if we get to the point where we don't need to bite it because only good things come out of it. Agreed? Like, how powerful would that be? And that's my focus here. Megas agape. I want my agape, my love, to be as great as possible, but I also want my gift to be as great as possible because Mike showed us last week that all those gifts are useless if they don't have love. And now we're just talking about what the right kind of love is. 
All right? I think we can do it. We got it. Number six takes us to, it does not insist on its own way. Do you know I'm going to be honest? I feel like there are multiple ways we could take this. I'm just going to tell you. When you hear insist on your own way, is there anything you think of? That we, like, synonym? Okay, stubborn. Thank you, definitely. No, it has to be done my way. Selfish. Those are definitely the first two I thought of. It has to be done my way. If you don't mind, I'm going to set the bar a little higher. Because if you're being selfish and you're being stubborn, come on. You know you're not showing love. The way we can deceive ourselves into thinking we're showing love is, no, no, I'm being stubborn because what I'm saying is right. Let's give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Are there times where we are right? Believe it or not, once in a while, it's easy to say, you know, you better believe it. There are times where I'm not being a jerk because I take a stand on something, because I am right. And oh my goodness, if 20-year-old me was here, you'd be hearing a huge amen right now. I used to live my life that way. Unless you've got chapter and verse telling me why I can't do this, I don't want to hear it. Love doesn't insist on its own way, even if its own way is right. Do you understand? Now, yes, we have to take a stand on Scripture. We're going to talk about that in a second. But there's other times when it really has nothing to do with Scripture. It has to do with logic. It has to do with practicality. It has to do with so many things where you know you're right. And yet love's saying, yeah, but does that really matter? At some point, does it really matter that you're right? And I believe that this is saying no. Even if you are right, there is power. Again, pick which word you want. You could say sacrifice. I think selflessness is the better word. There is power in selflessness. I'm not sure we realize that because we think selflessness is such a sacrifice. It's something I'm willing to give up. Fine, you can have your way. Yeah, but, and again, we're not talking about anything that goes against Scripture. That, that, that's off the table. You need to take a stand on what Scripture says. We're going to get there in a second. But when it's just practical life matters, oh my goodness, do we act like things are a big deal when they're really not that big a deal? Uh, let's see. John, sir, can you read for me 1 Corinthians 9, 19? We're not free from all. I have made myself a servant of all. Okay, now again, Lenny, you did this, right? I'm almost positive. Yeah. I'm not going to get into it. I understand Paul's talking about a specific case, but would you at least admit that Paul is saying, listen, I know what I can do, but here's what I'm going to do, and here's why. That's my emphasis here. And here's why. Why did Paul make himself a servant to all? Because he's a Christian and he has to? No, because he knew it would make his gift more effective. Again, anybody who quotes this verse and says, see, so you should be out there trying to win everybody. We can fight later. But we know that was Paul's. We know that was Paul's calling. We know it was. And Paul said, for my calling to be megas, for my calling to be everything God wants it to be, I need to be selfless. I need to be willing to sacrifice on things that I know technically I don't have to. The chapters of Corinthians dealt with, you can do this, but... Yeah, you're allowed to, but, and it's, I, I almost feel like, again, let, it's not the Bible telling us we have to do that. It does. Whether you want to do it or not, the Bible says to do it. But there's so much power in selflessness because it allows your gift to do what God wants to do in it. We always say, Lord, help me get out of the way. There's a lot of truth to that. 
because we think God's given us a gift for this, so we run with it, and we're gone, and God's like, whoa, David, come on back. <laughs> you might do that down the road, but just, just be selfless. Just be willing to sacrifice. Don't insist on your own way. Don't lean on your own understanding, whatever word you want to use. But just and when you have the opportunity to defer to someone else, just realize that is a kindness that probably means a lot more to them than it does to you. Um, I think of heaping hot coals, right? When the person's ready for a fight and all of a sudden you're like, no, that's okay, you can have it. Well, I don't really want it if you want it. <laughs> We're about to see that in a second. That, that's where I'm going. But oh my goodness, there is power in selflessness. And then the very next one says, is not irritable. Again, I hope nobody just glanced at someone else. That would not be a nice thing to do when you hear the word irritable. But yes, there are some people out there who tend to be irritable. That's not who I'm talking to. I'm saying in those moments where you feel right for getting irritated. Where that person, let's be honest, has not only pushed that button one too many times, they've pushed it about ten too many times. Okay. And it's not necessarily wrong for you to react. But there is a good way to react, agreed? It doesn't mean you let them just keep pushing that button. Things are just going to get worse, worse, worse. But I went with the power of gentleness. Gentleness does not mean that you just grin and bear it. But gentleness means you deal with it in a gentle way. So Sylvia, since I keep looking at you and you keep smiling, can you read Proverbs 15, 1, please? Okay, sure. um, wait, 13. Proverbs 15, 1? Yeah. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Okay, a soft what? Answer. Oh, so I am allowed to answer. Yeah, you don't just take it. But what does that soft answer do? turns away wrath, which by definition means the wrath was there. The wrath was ready. And because you responded in a gentle manner, not an irritated manner, it didn't escalate, but it de-escalated. Unlike a harsh word, which stirs up anger, which by definition means, you know something, they didn't have to get angry. But because you reacted one way, I mean, we all had to have been there. I hope not this morning. But we all had to have been there. Where, yeah, that person's wrong, but if we're honest, if we didn't react this way, they wouldn't have reacted this way. It's, you, can name, you can point fingers all you want, or you could just be gentle. It doesn't mean grin and take it. But it does mean respond in the right way. That's how you can show someone love. Because we're not showing them love by just letting them act in a way that isn't God-honoring. But, oh my goodness, through prayer, definitely... And allowing the Spirit to speak to you, I believe very much He can tell you what that soft answer is. He can tell you how to respond in a way of love so that your agape is megas. And it's benefiting that person. And it's benefiting your ministry. Because if Gabe is a youth leader that God has called him to do and given him a gift to do, but he's always getting irritated at his kids, uh, not just children, you know what I mean, his youth, which is very possible. Youth, you can be annoying. So can we. But if he's sitting there giving them all reasons of why they're be getting him irritated, and all of those reasons make sense, it doesn't change the fact that his ministry is not going to serve the purpose it needs to. Because he's putting up with a bunch of irritating kids. But if he can be gentle, and if he can say, yeah, but guys, listen, can we do that later? Because right now we're studying God's word, and have a, a gentle response, according to, if we believe the Bible, that won't let things escalate. That won't let it go somewhere, even though he could say, no, it's because I love him. I love them, so i got to put them in their place. We can say that, but 
I would say you're arguing with scripture. All right, so let's keep going. It's not irritable or resentful. Do we know what it means to be resentful? I'm going to say it means to hold something against someone. Got it? You weren't just upset with them at some point, but you stayed upset with them. You resent them for it, which I would say means you struggled showing them. True, love. These are all love. I would say forgiveness. You struggle with forgiving because if you're able to forgive someone, the chances of you resenting them, I mean, those, those sentences don't really go together. It doesn't mean you forgot. We talk about that all the time. But don't we treat forgiveness as some martyr? Fine, I'll forgive them. There's power in forgiveness. There's power for you, right? It frees you. But there's also power in the relationship that you are trying to show love in. Now, there's degrees of that. For some people, as much as is in you, live peaceably with all men means I will love you by keeping my distance from you. But... Was forgiveness at the root of it? Don't just be willing to forgive. You should want to forgive. And again, Matthew 6, 12, we talked about it in the sermon a few months ago. But forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Just think for a second what it would mean in your relationship with Christ. I hope we all have a relationship with Christ. But imagine that relationship if God never forgave you. Or if God struggled in forgiving you. One day he thinks you're forgiven, but the next day he's not so sure that was the right. Oh, Lord, I'm so glad that you've shown me. How can you think that and not want to then show that same forgiveness? It doesn't mean God, I know East is from the West, I don't care. It doesn't mean God's like, ah, don't worry, kid. It's like you never did it. No, he who thinks he has no sin, you understand? But oh my goodness, forgiveness is so powerful because it allows that relationship to be what it wants to be, what what God wants it to be. So if you want agape megas, there needs to be forgiveness at the heart of that. You can't cut people off just, you know, 70 times 7, right? Jesus wasn't asking Peter to do a math problem. He was saying, listen, it doesn't matter. As long as that person wants forgiveness, even if they don't want it, you should give it for yourself. But especially if they want it. Being resentful really implies that they would want to forgive and you just can't. You just can't let it go. Okay? But then you can't say that you're loving that person. All right, two more. I think we're doing good. Um, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. That's actually very good uh, translation right there. Does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It doesn't say does not rejoice in wrongdoing. That would be very different. That would imply that they enjoyed wrongdoing. This is saying it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. And the best example I can give is... You know, something bad happens to a loved one, and so you really want to see the person who did that get theirs. And it comes from a root of it. That, that's rejoicing at wrongdoing. You understand? There's taking matters into your own hands and, and being glad that person got what they got. No, they rejoice in the truth. Okay? They don't rejoice at wrongdoing, but they rejoice with, or more appropriately, in the truth. So that's what... The, there's power in truth. And I know we know that. I know we know that. I pray we know that. But oh my goodness, are we good at taking that truth and just putting little twists into it? So it just, I mean, as parents, as leaders, right? How many times we know the right thing to do, but maybe handling it this way would be a little more. No. Love doesn't do that. 
Love doesn't take the easy way out. Love doesn't lean on its own understanding. Love rejoices in the truth. Love sets a bar, which is scripture, and says, listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you don't like this. Whatever. I'm I'm sorry you want to play soccer during Sunday school, but you need to be in Sunday school. Okay, I know I'm getting a little bit away from, I get it. But that's the idea behind rejoice, does not rejoice at wrongdoing means doesn't rejoice because things kind of worked out for them or went the way they wanted. They just rejoice in truth. That when you're clinging to the truth and you see truth being upheld, that makes you rejoice. That's why I wrote Proverbs 13, 15 says that good judgment wins favor. It might not always feel that way. It might be hard sometimes to stick to what you know is truth because people are going to fight you on it and people you love are going to get mad at you on it. But no, love rejoices in truth. And the prayer is, in the end, those people who are so upset with you and so mad at you because you wouldn't cut this corner or you wouldn't do things a different way, thanks, Mom, thanks, Dad, thanks, whoever. Thanks for setting that bar. I know I didn't realize it at the time. That, that's, that's how it speaks to me. Look, you, you can take what you want from that. But for me, there is so much power in just sticking to the truth. And we forget that because all we see is how the truth is going to make things difficult. Yeah, but in the end, did you want the easy way out? And then all the ramifications that came with the easy way out? Right? Letting your kid play soccer, but then they grow up and their kids aren't going to Sunday school either. And you're trying to convince them. And they're like, well, you didn't make me go. I'm sorry, I don't know why my mind's going there. I didn't plan on going there. But do you understand, in that one little moment, you just want to show that person you love them. And then later on, you're like, oh, but, oh my goodness, if I had known. Love rejoices in the truth. True agape love says, this is what God tells us to do. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I I, I pray that that the Spirit's speaking to your heart. Because the last one for me... Uh, it says, is to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. Yes, they all deserve their own attention, but I knew I'd run out of time. So I just went with that last word, that there is power in endurance. Not just something you have to do. Not just something that's difficult to do. There's power in endurance. You bear all things. You're not going to be able to bear all things if you don't endure. You believe all things. It doesn't mean you're gullible. It means you're willing to give people the benefit of the doubt because you're going to endure. That ties back to the patience we were talking about. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Again, the verse, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. If you could just think about that for a second. What will you reap? There's no right answer to it. There's just my answer to it. What would you reap? Oh, say something. Thank you. Some kind of reward, some kind of fruit. But thank you for saying fruit, I guess. Because you reap what you sow. sow, And what you're sowing is what he doesn't want you. You understand? Like, why would he say, don't grow weary of doing good? Because I got a a benefit waiting for you. Hmm. No, the reaping should be the benefit of what you're sowing. No? That as you endure that love towards someone, as you're long-suffering, as you're kind, as you're content, as you do these things... And they don't seem to be working very well. Endure. Endure because that sowing is going to pay off. doesn't always pay off the way we expect it to. But love expects it to. Love bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. Because like I said at the beginning, it believes that God has a perfect plan. 
And so we will continue to show that love. Again, we're done, but we will. Con- I pray we will see the power of being patient and kind and content and humble and edifying each other and being selfless and being gentle and forgiving and, and resting in the truth and enduring. Yes, those are all challenges. Yes, they are all commands. But oh my goodness, they're all things that we'd be doing ourselves such a favor if we grew in these things. Megas agape, it will make our love better and it will make our gift more effective, which is the only reason he has us here. He'll take us home when he's done using us for our purpose. All right, so thank you all. I know that was a lot, but please let the Spirit speak in a way that only he can. Lord, thank you. You know, I, uh, I, I struggled with this, you know that, simply because I, I didn't want to just rattle through a list that I've rattled through so often. Lord, I don't want these to be things that I have to do or am obligated to do. Lord, help me see how it's such a benefit. I do want to love others. I do want to make the most of the gift you've given me. You put it right in front of my face. If I want that, then I need to make asagape, which means I need to be patient and kind and content and humble. And I know we know. Lord, I know we know. But half the time we're not doing it and we don't even realize it. So please help us as a church. Lord, I will selfishly ask for all of us because the more people that exhibit this, the stronger and more effective your body will be here. Uh, help us build each other up and continue to work on it, show each other love. Lord, you say to I mean, love within the body, Lord, is is even more vital than love outside of it. So I pray that one fuels the other, that our love for you is at the root of all of it. And I just thank you. I thank you for how you always take passages that maybe we think we're familiar with and give us another way to look at it so it becomes new and fresh. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you've laid on pastor's heart, Lord. We've all heard about kids honoring their parents, but um, that's not going to be a sermon for kids. It's for all of us. I pray that we all hear it. Attentive, and that we all desire to to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.